Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. Y'all will remember that we are taking the month of January. We're taking this first month of the year 2023 um, to, um, to take a look, to to take a deeper look, a deeper examination at the, the third chapter of the 20th book of the Bible, it's the, the book of Proverbs, and we're calling it 23 and Me. And really what we're doing, we're taking that chapter and we're using it, we're using it as a springboard, we're using it as a springboard to enter into a conversation about what is essentially our spiritual DNA. I mean, we've, we've talked about faith, and last week we, we talked about trust. But today, this, this morning, the, the rubber really meets the road because this morning, today, we're going to be asked to put our money where our mouth is. <laughs> and, and I mean that quite literally because this whole genetic stuff, this whole genealogy thing, it has gotten to be big business. I mean big business. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was in June of 21, 23andMe actually went public. Right, they, they started getting traded on, uh, on the markets. You know how much overnight, you know how much that company got valued at? Three and a half billion dollars. Like that. I mean, we're talking about spit, but boom, like that. But not to be outdone, Ancestry.com, which I guess I'm told has the largest DNA database of, of any company in the nation, they just got sold. They got sold not too long thereafter. Guess how much they got valued at? How much they got bought for? $4.7 billion. See, this, the, the interest in our physical DNA is just massive. And what we are asking us to do, what we are wanting us to do, what we are urging us to do, what we are begging us to do is to have at least an equal interest. In fact, we are begging us to have a greater interest in our spiritual DNA. In, in these things, in, in this one who, who tells us who we are, in these things in this one who makes us who we are. Because the pressure, the, the pressure on us to forget, that pressure is enormous. In fact, I remember a, a story from a couple of years ago. Uh, it said that uh, back in the 1970s, there was this group of pipeline workers. There were these group of, of, of British petroleum pipeline workers, and they were working offshore. They were working about 12 miles off the, uh, off the Scottish coast. And as they were out there doing whatever it is that they do, they ran across something kind of strange. They ran across something kind of unexpected. They ran across this wreck out there laying on the, on the ocean floor. And it turns out that, that it ended up being a German U-boat, a sunken German U-boat. It was, in fact, one of the very last U-boats that was sunk during the Second World War. But, um, but unlike its, its fellow U-boats, this one, this submarine's demise, it, it didn't come about because of a torpedo. This boat, this, this sub, it wasn't sunk because of a depth charge. Um, no, as it turns out, this boat in question, this submarine, this U-boat, it was sunk because someone flushed a toilet incorrectly, <laughs> making it, I believe, the only known at-sea disaster caused by a potty. Um, you see, this U-boat, U-1206, it was of a brand new design. 
back in the day. It was a design that the German engineers were so proud of. You see, they come up with this system where they would vent wastewater directly out into the ocean rather than stowing it on board. But the thing about the system, the thing about this, this, this new design was, was that the, the air pressure inside the sub had to be greater than the water pressure on the outside. We got some smart people in here. I bet you see where this story is angling, don't you? Um, well, apparently on April 14th, 1945, and now talking just weeks before Germany would surrender, this sub, U-1206, uh, was out on a mission, was out on a deep sea mission whenever the, the captain of the U-boat felt, felt the call of nature. And this captain, he had to go relieve himself. And whenever he was done, Rather than waiting for the submarine to come to an appropriate depth where it would have been safe for them to, to flush the commode, he just went ahead and flushed it. But with the, the water pressure outside the sub being something like 10 to 12 times greater than the air pressure on, on the inside, all of that salt water, all of that salt water came flooding into the compartment. It flooded the head, it flooded the lab, it soaked down the battery compartment. I mean, talk about some good engineering. The, the, the battery department was directly underneath the toilets. It flooded out the battery compartment. It shorted out their entire electrical system, leaving them absolutely and literally powerless to do anything. So with just, just, just a few minutes to spare before the U-boat sank, the captain gave the command to, to abandon ship. And I get it, I realize that, that is a really crazy story, especially to be telling in church. I get it. But what you and I got to realize, what we need to realize is that we live in, in an eerie, eerily similar environment. You mean we got to realize that we live in a world where we are surrounded, we're surrounded by pressure. We're surrounded by the, by the pressure to, to fit in. Surrounded by the the pressure to win, to, to succeed, to excel, surrounded by the pressure to, to look just right, to say all the right things, to have all the right things. We're surrounded by the pressure to, to fudge, just to, to fudge just a little bit, to fudge just a little here, just, just a little there, to skimp, to skimp on what we know to be right and good and true. And friends, that pressure, that pressure can ruin us. The pressure can, can ruin our families, can ruin our marriages, it can ruin our businesses. That pressure can ruin our witness. That pressure can sink us. One of the, the greatest areas of concern these days, and I, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know choir, maybe, maybe it's always been like that, but, but, but I can attest to this. I can testify that this is true. One of the greatest areas of, of concern these days is with our money, the pressure to make more, the, the pressure to, to have more. In fact, just this week, a new study got released, a new study got published that said a vast majority of we Americans, I'm talking vast majority, like eight of 10 of us, we, we confess to having this worry, this concern, we're, we're scared. We're scared about our finances right now. We're anxious, but but it is that, that anxiety-busting sort of wisdom that we're going to see in our scripture for this morning. So have your Bibles with you, or maybe you have a, a, a Bible app on a cell phone with you this morning. Go ahead and turn it on. We're going to be, again, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Um, and just, just as an addition this morning, let me say, if, 
if maybe some of us have, have taken on a, a New Year's resolution that, that we want to read the Bible through, or we want to start reading the Bible more faithfully, let me just suggest something as we're in this series studying the book of Proverbs. Let me suggest the book of Proverbs for us. If we don't know where to begin reading the Bible, how about the book of Proverbs? It's this powerful portrayal of the wisdom of God. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. So if, if you take just one chapter a day, if you read one chapter a day, if you pray through one chapter a day, the book of Proverbs will, will, will take you a month. Uh, um, it's a great place to start. This morning, we're going to be starting uh, our reading in Proverbs chapter 3, starting with verse 9. Um, friends, hear the word of the Lord. Solomon says, honor the Lord with your substance. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, now King Solomon, King Solomon knew a little something about riches. I mean, just, just read the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and I hope you will. Once you get done with the book of, of Proverbs, just keep on going. Ecclesiastes is next. There's some, some more great wisdom there. Solomon knew a lot about wealth. He knew a lot about riches. But here in just, in just two verses, he summarizes it. He summarizes everything that, that he had learned. He takes the books of, of Ecclesiastes and here in two verses, he gives us what is essentially the Cliff's Notes version. And I don't even know if they still make Cliff's Notes and I'm not gonna ask our students if they know about them. So here we get the summary. And what does, what does Solomon say? He says, honor the Lord with your substance. Honor the Lord with everything that we have. To honor the Lord with, with everything that we are. To honor the Lord and, and to bring to Him our first fruits. Now that's just, that's just an oddly biblical way of saying that we're supposed to bring God our best. That God is supposed to be our, our, our first priority. That, that God is supposed to be our number one. But it's more than that. It says more than, than just that. Because really, whenever we bring God our first fruits, when we bring God the first of, our, of our, our crops, when we bring God the first of our harvest, when we bring God the first of our earnings, what it is, it's, it's a statement of faith. It's us saying, it's us telling God that, that we trust. Like we talked about last week, it's us telling God that, that we trust Him, that we trust that God will be faithful to provide more. It's us saying that, that we trust that there's more where that came from, that there will be indeed, what's His word? Plenty. There's plenty. And granted, it may not be, it may not be the, the excess that we probably want it to be, but it will be enough. With God, God will be enough. And so why, why, why do we do it? Why do we bring God our best? Why do we honor God with our substance? Well, I'll tell you, it's not in order, for the, it's not in order so that we will be blessed. Ah, it's... It's out of this profound awareness that we've already been blessed. It's, it's an act of gratitude. It's a way of us showing God that, that, that we haven't gotten them confused. It's a way of us showing God that we have not confused our barns with our temple. It's a way of us showing God that we have not confused our businesses with our temple. Because none of this, none of this has anything to do with what, with what God wants from us. 
but it has everything to do with what God wants for us. That life that God wants for us, a life that's free, a life that's free from the, from the emptiness of, of consumerism and materialism and greed. It's this life that God wants for us, this, this, this buoyant, unsinkable life, a life with, with Him at the very core, a life with Him in our very DNA. God, thank you for that, and I love that image. <clears throat> I want us to think about that submarine because I think it preaches a powerful sermon for us and it asks us a question we ought to think about. And that is, what are the pressures we face that can seek us? And they're all around. And so three of them I want to mention as we look at our scripture. First is the pressure to conform. All around us, our culture has a, a picture of a lifestyle that we should maintain Look at all those commercials at Christmas time. These are the things we need to be happy in. There is pressure to conform to the materialism of our culture. And in so doing, what happens is we're planting the seeds of dissatisfaction and disappointment that will ultimately make us unhappy. We need to be aware of this pressure and and the spirit and attitude that guides us in life. In fact, I love that. Jesus told us that beautifully in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he said in Matthew 6? I love the message translation. It is so profound. Jesus said this, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. When we think about what Jesus was saying to us and the pressure to conform, I remember an old story. I've shared it with us before that Billy Graham told. Billy Graham told the time he and his wife Ruth were on vacation on a Caribbean island. And while they were there, they were invited to go have lunch one day with one of the wealthiest people in the world. He lived in this beautiful villa on top of a mountain, absolutely gorgeous. So he and Ruth made their way there and they were having lunch. And as they were eating, This gentleman was 75 years old, and there was something wrong with him. He was just distraught. Something was bothering him. It looked like he was going to break out crying at any moment. They finished their meal, and then the man just couldn't contain it. He burst out. He said, Billy, I have to tell you, I am the most miserable person on earth. Look down there, and you'll see my yacht. It will take me anywhere in the world I want to go at a moment's notice. I have private jets, I have helicopters, I have everything in the world that could ever possibly make you happy, and I am completely, absolutely miserable. And after he shared that, Billy Graham tried to counsel with him, and he tried to explain to him about the meaning of life, and he prayed with him and tried to point him to Jesus Christ, who is the one who gives meaning and and could answer what this man was searching for, but even as he talked and he prayed, he said the man couldn't get it. He couldn't listen. He couldn't open his heart. So after their conversation, he and Ruth went back down the mountain to the house where they were staying. He said a little later that afternoon, they had another meeting. Appointment was made by the pastor of the local Baptist church. This pastor was a retired pastor from England, also 75 years old, and spent a lot of his time with the church. But in his free time, he was caring for two aging sisters. And as this pastor was visiting, he said, Billy, I have to tell you, 
Life is just wonderful. He was filled with this bubbling joy. He was so happy and so content and in love with life. It was just overflowing. And somewhere in the middle of the conversation, he said, Billy, I I need to be honest with you. I don't have two pounds to my name, but I am the happiest person on this island. And after he left, Billy Graham turned to Ruth and said, which one of those two do you think is the richest? And they both knew the answer. What does Proverbs tell us? Honor the Lord with your substance. Live, last week we talked about, with a theocentric perspective, which means a God-centered perspective. Focus on the Lord. And what we will find is the joy we can't find anywhere else, that our culture cannot deliver. Be careful of that pressure to conform that leads us down the wrong road and makes us miserable. Second lesson, the pressure to miss the secret of life. You see, if we're busy trying to conform, if we're trying to please the wrong people, if we're chasing the wrong things, we will miss the secret of God's heart that unlocks the meaning not only of faith but of life. And we shared that secret on Christmas Eve. You remember? That secret is contained in a powerful scripture that Jesus gave us, the most beloved passage of scripture, John 3.16. This is the key to life. Remember what Jesus said in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. Circle, underline the word gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We worship a God who gives. Remember when he created human beings, he scooped them up from the dust of the ground and he breathed into them and he gave them life. And he gave them provision and he gave them protection. And when they blew it, he gave them forgiveness. And at Christmas, he gave them the greatest gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ. God gave to us. That's why when we come to faith, we don't earn it, we don't buy it, we don't deserve it. We receive the gift. We open our hands and we open our hearts to the Lord and said, Lord, thank you for the gift of Jesus. And when we give, we tap into the power of Christmas that gives to the world that which our hearts desire. The truth of the matter is sometimes we miss this because we go about faith wrong. I think there's a big mistake people make in trying to live the faith. And that is we start with earth and try to work our way to heaven. We start with earth and we try to work hard enough and pray hard enough and give hard enough and serve hard enough. And if we do enough, maybe God will love us and allow us into heaven. But our starting place is wrong because if that's the way we approach our faith, we don't sustain it for long. We drop out, we, 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 we plateau, we lose interest because it's all about us and our effort. We've got it backwards. That's not how you come to faith. Instead, to come to faith and experience Christ, you start with heaven And then we work to earth. Todd, does that make any sense? We start with heaven. What what does the writer John tell us in that letter of John? We love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. And when we understand and start with heaven and we give because he loves us, that's where we find the power and the joy and the meaning. We start with heaven. 
And then we work toward earth. And the people that get that are the witnesses who change the world. I've shared with you my greatest hero, the most influential person in my life was my great-grandmother. She was an amazing person. Actually, you see our wedding picture. She is the one sitting there. That's my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother. She was the most amazing person I have ever met. Never made a lot of money. She didn't have great wealth, but she was the most generous person. Always giving, always doing, always serving, always helping. Just always a life that was other-focused. In fact, I was thinking about one of the defining moments in my life. Debbie and I had really struggled financially, but we had finally found a house we could afford. We saved up a down payment, and we were going to buy this house. It was 1983, and we were so excited. And we dropped my son Jay, who was one year old then, off at my great-grandmother's house. She was going to babysit him while we went to the lawyer's office to close on the house. And so we arrived, and my mama said, John Eric, I, I want to see you for just a minute. And I went over into the room where she was, and she handed me a check for the down payment on the house. And I said, Mama, you don't, you don't need to do that. We have worked, we've saved, we've got the money, we are just fine. And she said, I know I don't need to do that, but I want to do that. And I looked into her face. And she had this smile, she was beaming, there was joy. And I realized she wanted to be a part of our lives. She wanted to bless us. She wanted to bless her great-great-grandson. And I hugged her and I just wept. And that place was holy ground for me, for the example of how to live and love the way God lives and loves for us. Not long after that, I became a certified lay preacher. And I look back at those sermons I preached at little churches all over North Louisiana and Harvey, they were horrible. Thank goodness we don't have any of them. They were absolutely awful. But I look back, one of the things that I would talk about was my mama. Because for me, she modeled what it was like to follow Jesus. She modeled what it was like to be a Christian. And she changed me because of her example. My friends, if we ever see a generous person that gives from the heart like that, that their life is about others, that's how we change the world. When literally our our sermon is the life that we live, don't miss the secret. For God so loved the world that he gave. When we give, we tap into that power. Don't miss it. And then the third thing is the pressure to miss the law of first fruits. Sometimes we read a passage like Proverbs and we say, well, certainly this is the Bible. I know it's true, but I'm not sure it applies to me. It applies to somebody somewhere over there, somebody over behind that tree. This applies to them, but not to me because I don't make that much and my talents are too small and it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of life. This is not true. This applies to every one of us when we will honor the Lord with our substance. It's amazing how God will use that. Whatever our circumstance or condition of life, not only to be a blessing in the world, but to bless us. This law of first fruits that we read is so important. And I will tell you, you know where I learned that? I learned it when I became a pastor in Texas. 
I never really got it growing up or before. <clears throat> but when I became a pastor in Texas and I was appointed to little churches in Central Texas Conference out in the country, every church had a great tradition called the Lord's Acre. It was a fall festival, <clears throat> if you haven't been exposed to that. And the churches <clears throat> would raise money um, for missions or for projects or for something in the community. Every church raised money for a little different cost, but they worked really hard and a lot of effort, a lot of attention went into that. People would make crafts and they would make quilts and they would have an auction and barbecue and just all kinds of things. Every Lord's Acre had a little different flavor, but I loved the history of the Lord's Acre. That, that's why when you did that, it was always a sermon. It came from the time... <clears throat> When most of the rural Texas churches, they were in agriculture, they were farmers. And literally in the beginning of the year, you would take out a loan. When your crop came in, you would pay off the loan, you would settle up. And when they would get their money in the fall, the first acre of the field was the Lord's. And they gave that first and then they lived on the rest. The principle of the Lord's acre is the principle of the first fruits. It's the principle of tithing. <clears throat> Literally, first fruits, tithing means we believe that we give the Lord the first 10% of whatever we make, whatever we bring into the barn, whatever we bring into the storehouse, that's the Lord's. That's the Lord's acre, and we live on 90%. And it doesn't matter if we make a little or if we make a lot, this, this principle applies. And I think we miss it because sometimes we approach it from earth. <clears throat> And that is we think this, this idea of tithing is about raising a budget and funding the ministry and the mission of the church. When we ought to approach it from heaven, it's a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual principle. We give because he first gave to us. And when we give, not only of our resources, but our time and our talents and our service, we tap into the power that brought Jesus to earth. <clears throat> the truth is, do we give God our first fruits? Whatever season of life we are, whatever our circumstance, does God get our best? I love what Todd said to us. Does God get our best? Because if God gets our first fruits, our barns will be filled with plenty. Our vats will be bursting with wine. We may not have to excess, but what we will have is enough. But more than that, we will have joy by trusting the Lord to provide enough. And again, I just want to say it doesn't matter what our circumstance, what our talents are, do we give God the best? I love on this weekend that we honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his wonderful wisdom and insight, that that was one of the hallmarks, the themes of his preaching. Remember what he said? We've shared this before, but I love his wonderful quote. He said, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, you sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, sweep streets like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry, sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. It's the law of first fruits. That's why I love this series, 23 and Me. 
because this great chapter of Proverbs needs to be in our spiritual DNA. It needs to be the core in which we live. In fact, this passage points for us the way to the abundant life that Jesus promised us. So may we rely on this scripture to guide us. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. You bless us with so and so many ways, with so many gifts, and we're almost overwhelmed when we consider what you have done for us. But Lord, help us approach life, not from earth and our efforts to heaven, but from heaven to earth. We give because you first gave to us. We love because you loved us. We follow you because we have this incredible gift in Jesus Christ. So Lord, don't let us miss the secret. Don't let us get caught up in a culture of materialism that can make us dissatisfied, unhappy. Help us know that when we follow you and trust you and give you our first fruits, it will be enough. So speak to us, Lord. Teach us, guide us so that we might discover that abundant life you want for your children. Lord, help us follow you with this spiritual DNA in 2023. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.